I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. John chapter five, verse 43. As we approach the darkest days in history, how we will overcome will all depend on who we serve and our faith in him. The secular world today likes to tell people that how we overcome our problems can be addressed through multiple techniques from positive thinking, affirmations, enchantments and spells, crystals, the list goes on. The secular world does not have a problem with tapping into the spiritual world, as long as they are going against our creator and tapping into darker powers. Though people like Wiccans like to believe their white magic is nicer and less dark. Bottom line is that people are tapping into the spiritual realm. And the more activity in the darkness means that those in the true light of our Messiah must engage in power, in spirit, and in truth. For the past couple of months, I have been focusing on building up the body of Messiah, the Kodashim, and preparing for the spiritual battle that is coming. And the first part of this understanding was knowing our Father's name, not breaking the third commandment, and calling upon his name with strength and conviction and assurance. I showed that it was very clearly removed from the King James Bible's translations. And by following that doctrine of not calling on his name, over centuries, the body of Messiah lost power, which is exactly why we can see how evil has been prevailing and winning. If you have not watched that video, please make sure that you do. You see, Satan's technique over the centuries has not only been about suppressing people from reading the word, no, because he's actually using it to justify his false kingdom. What he has done is place many false doctrines at the foundation of our understanding while the word was being spread, which then unknowingly tainted believers for centuries. It's important that we all understand that Satan has been working to reduce the power of Yah and his many followers around the world. There are hard subjects that need to be tackled and addressed, but unfortunately, there aren't many that are willing to discuss them because they don't want to deal with the feedback and challenges that can arise from it. When people hear what they don't like to hear, they get mad. But as we move towards the tribulation period, we don't have time for the falsehoods and untruths. And it's these untruths that have been a deterrent to the faith. It has drawn so much confusion and it has reduced our collective power. In these last days, these things cannot be ignored and people need to tackle these subjects. People will have to risk angering many and losing acceptance in order to bring out hard truths. And today, this is something that this ministry has been called to take on. This ministry is called Truth Unedited for a reason. And we cannot just allow untruths to have power just because it is very strong and people are ready to come against you regardless of the validity of what you have to say. But at this point, enough people are bothered by me because their minds are stuck on race and insecurities. So we're just going to add to it and cover another sensitive topic. Now, let me just say, I understand that this is a sensitive issue. And when you have something to say about it, people automatically feel that you're speaking from Satan or an antichrist spirit. I mean, I do recognize that people with strong faith in him do this not from a spirit of pride or from arrogance, but protection, and they feel the standing firm for our savior. I understand that, and I respect it greatly. This ministry is completely devoted to the savior sent to the Jews who was perfect. He died and rose again, conquering death, the son of the most high God, 
the light to the Gentiles, Yahusha the Messiah, whom in English is referred to as Jesus Christ. Since the beginning of this ministry, I have always been devoted to him. I have taught about him, preached on obedience to him in his word, encouraged all to read about him, encouraged repentance and being born again. I have always said he is our only solution to anything in this world. So please do not misunderstand me and believe that I am attacking our savior. Please know this subject is not just something you're going to hear and then I want you to just automatically follow if you feel you have doubts. After you hear the subject and if you have doubts, you are to pray about it, fast about it, make sure you're being led by the spirit in all your doings. Very early on in my faith, I rejected messages just like this because I simply was not ready for it. So please understand, I do understand your fear and your challenge. I just want you to understand that I am not an enemy of the gospel or our savior. And this ministry has always been devoted to him. So please make sure that's understood as you begin your defense. And if you do honestly believe that I am an enemy of the gospel or our savior, you should honestly just stop listening. I do understand at first glance, you may want to disagree with me and get on the defense. I am understanding that this will challenge a great deal of you, but these things really need to be said. A few months ago, in a message to everyone, I said that I am not here to appease anyone and I didn't mean it. Before the end time begins and many of our voices are suppressed, I want to make sure that the truth has been given and is out there for those who struggle with their faith and have questions about why certain things have happened and were done. Before you attack or disagree, please, I sincerely ask for your attention and for you just to hear me out. If you choose to attack before understanding and just come at me and start commenting before you even hear me out, that you are not my audience and this video was not for you. We must worship our Father in spirit and in truth. And there are certain untruths that need to just come unchecked as we move forward towards the tribulation period. This video right here is all about gaining power in the spirit. If you ask ever, what was the purpose of this video and why did I bring this subject up? This is about gaining power in the spiritual realm. And maybe you don't really understand that and you feel that this is already happening. But if you see evil and how strong it is, you should understand that it's not. And we are working to gain power against our enemy. And this is a big topic of why. I believe that by the end of this video, those with ears to hear will understand what it is I'm trying to say and why. As we move forward into 2023, there are some things that need to be clarified. You may notice that many times that when I mention Yahusha, I add to it, whom the world refers to as Jesus. I will no longer add that last part because as I said, we are now removing the shackles of the fluence of Hellenization. And I do not want to give any association with the influence from the Greeks. If you missed those videos like part two of the culture of the Hebrews, you should watch them. But again, Hellenization is the adoption of Greek culture, religion, language, and identity by non-Greeks. The Jews were not Greeks. So as we refer to them and their God and their Messiah, we will not apply the Greeks practice of Hellenization in. The Messiah's name is Hebrew and it should not be transliterated. Now, you probably don't agree with that statement right now, but by the end, many of you will understand why. Let's begin. So we are at a point in time where we must really be intentional in our ways of worship because Satan has been so aggressive with his deceptions. 
we must be diligent in warring against Satan. The population of the world that believes in the name of Jesus has grown exponentially over time. In America, there are churches on almost every street corner. Thousands, probably millions of churches that all call on the name of Jesus. We have celebrities all over the world proclaiming the name of Jesus, even while they promote sin and rebellion. I'll be here with the ease and grace I have in my heart without my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What master do you serve? What master do I serve? What am I supposed to say, Jesus? But with all this growth of influence in the name of Jesus, how is it that evil has been able to grow in such enormous lengths? How is it that the presidents of this country can call on the name of Jesus and their belief in him? That I came to know Jesus Christ for myself and embrace him as my Lord and Savior. Still allow many things that are contradictory to him. How is it that so many can blaspheme his name in such lengths where there should only be power in his name? Jesus Christ, mister, you okay in there? Jesus Christ, I think it's real! Jesus Christ! Jesus! Get in before I change my mind, Jesus! Oh, my Jesus. You okay? Jesus Christ! Jesus! Jesus! I mean, people use his name as a cuss word. Some people believe that the name of Jesus is solidified and shown that it's powerful because of the way that it's blasphemed. Basically, because there is no other name blasphemed and used and spoken against so much, they feel this gives the name credibility and validation. But that's very dicey logic if you actually really think about it. If you really do your own analysis without that way of thinking, a name with full power shouldn't be spoken out used as a cuss word, and used against him in the ways it has been. I mean, let's be very clear. Satanists and people that are aligned with the satanic kingdom, they should not be able to claim that Jesus is Lord. Isn't that what the scripture says? The apostle Paul writes, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. So the question is, how are these people that literally have sold out to Satan who are not indwelled by the Holy Spirit, how are they able to say that Jesus is Lord? Right. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Uh, but because it led to everything else, uh, it led me to embrace Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It, that I came to know Jesus Christ for myself and embrace him as my Lord and Savior. Is the word not true? Absolutely not. The word is absolutely true. The word is our foundation of life, given to us by our creator, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if the word is true, we need to understand how this is able to occur. I use Barack Obama as the example with this, because to any discerning believer, it should be known that this man has not ever operated by the spirit of Yahuwah. So how is he able to say this? There is some deception there that has not been challenged or uncovered, and that's what I've been led to take on. In this video right here, I made the reference earlier. I explained that our father's name was taken out of the Bible and replaced with the Lord. Not because it translated into that, but because of the ineffable name doctrine that says Yahuwah's name shouldn't be uttered. This is actual doctrine that was used when translating the Bible into English in the King James Bible. You need to understand this. 
Satan worked in a doctrine not to say his name or to know Yah's name. And he had them use the excuse that they wanted it to be protected. But in fact, he did not want it known or used. So generations of people went into believing in the God of the Hebrews without ever knowing he had a name. But the ironic thing is, his name is in the 1611 King James Bible. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, it reads, And Abraham called the name of that place Yahuwah Jireh. And it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Do you see? So they knew his name. And I showed this definitively in that other video, that they replaced his name that was written in the Tetragrammaton almost 6,000 times. And this doctrine was validated amongst the translators. All you have to do is look it up. This is why we don't see his name, but we see God or the Lord. It's because they took out their name because they said that we should not be able to utter it, which is ridiculous when the third commandment tells us not to take his name in vain. But anyway, what has happened is that because of that one doctrinal change, most of the believers in the world use this doctrine unknowingly, mainly because they were never given a choice. And many of us break his third commandment, all because his name was not given to us. Now, if you read the word, you do understand why this happened. Yah spoke very much about preserving his name. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of Yahuwah, yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says Yahuwah Elohim, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am Yahuwah, says Yahuwah Elohim when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. That's Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 20 through 23. This is important understanding to have when you're questioning what happened here. You see, he preserved and sanctified his name because he did not want it profaned or blasphemed amongst the Gentiles who did not have proper care for it. But as he said in the end times, his name will be proclaimed when he is hallowed, meaning greatly revered or honored. And this is why we see his name being proclaimed again. I do not think people truly understand what is going on in these end times. All that is occurring and that will occur is all about Yahuwah and his will. And though evil has grown and many people are thinking about the Antichrist and persecution, it's really all about the righteousness of Yahuwah that will shine forth and show the world why Yahuwah is the most high. But let's not lose track. In the translations of the Bible, Yah's name was removed because of the ineffable name doctrine. So please hold that doctrine in your thought for a sec. Now let's just go back for a second. What was the scripture I started this video with? I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. John chapter 5 verse 43. Messiah literally said that he came in his father's name. So if because of the ineffable name doctrine, they couldn't utter father's name, what were they going to do about his son's name who also came in his name? You'll soon find out that they changed his name and you will see that this is because they desired their own savior. They do not want a Hebrew savior. 
but they can use the idea of him. A few years ago, I made this video, Jesus of the world versus the Jesus of the Bible. And while I was understanding that the word was really speaking of a different savior, because who they're talking about had nothing to do with what the word actually said, it took me years of research to study to really understand the sinister goal of Satan. So before I go into other points, let's talk about the first part of the problem, which is Hellenization. I spoke about this more in depth in the Understanding Israel series. Again, Hellenization is the adoption of Greek culture, religion, language, and identity by non-Greeks. This understanding should not be glossed over ever. Now, for many people that want to avoid this subject, it's often because you don't truly understand how dangerous and influential Hellenism is and was. So I want to really clarify Hellenization. In referencing about the Hellenistic age, I will read from the Encyclopedia Britannica. The Hellenistic age in the Eastern Mediterranean and Middle East, the period between the death of Alexander the Great in 323 BC and the conquest of Egypt by Rome in 30 BC. For some purposes, the period is extended for a further three and a half centuries to the move by Constantine the Great of his capital to Constantinople, Byzantium, in 330 CE. From the breakup of Alexander's empire, there are numerous realms, including the Macedonian, the Seleucid, and the Ptolemaic, that served as the framework for the spread of Greek Hellenistic culture. The mixture of Greek with other populations and the fusion of Greek and Eastern elements. Okay, so that's a lot of words. But in summary, this is explaining that the time period of this promotion of Greek culture, language, and lifestyle is called the Hellenistic Age. And this was from 323 BC all the way to 330 AD, basically spanning almost 600 years. So what you need to grasp and mark is that Hellenization was occurring during the times of Messiah. Now, before I go deeper into that, let me help you understand how Hellenization works. Let me give you an example. What do we call the people who started this practice of Hellenization? Yes, we know them as Greeks. But did you know that that is not what they were known as first? No, they were known as Hellenes. This was how they were referred to. During their period of conquest, they were not known as Greeks. They were known as Hellenes. So if they were known as Hellenes, why do we call them Greeks? It was not until centuries later, after Roman rule and conquest, that the Romans coined them as Greeks. When the Romans first encountered Greek colonists in southern Italy, they used the name Graeci for the colonists. That was Latin. Then later, they used it to refer to all Greeks. Do you see how that works? As an empire grew in influence and power, they controlled what you knew about a people, a nation, or a group. They controlled the languages and therefore controlled how these people were told to us. This is what Hellenization did. Through their change of language, they changed a complete name of an empire based on how they referred to them. So you see, this is what Hellenization was. And during the period between the point when Judah came back to Judea to rebuild their temple, and when Messiah came to the Jews, the Jews were heavily promoted to adopt to Hellenization. The Jews were actively being encouraged to adopt a Greek lifestyle. There were takers and there were not. But the followers in Messiah were not followers of Hellenization. You must note that. So if you are a follower of the Messiah who was sent to the Jews, 
whom the world may refer to you as Christian, you should not be one who follows the practice of Hellenization. You must know this in assurance, and I will prove this to you, that the followers in Messiah were not followers of Hellenization. So if you follow Messiah, you should not accept that practice either. Please grasp that understanding. And again, that's why I will not attach the translation of our Messiah's name through the Hellenized process any longer. Let's get this straight. Yahusha was a Hebrew man. He was a Hebrew. He was a pure Hebrew man. Matthew chapter 1 goes through his genealogy. It was important to Matthew to explain this because this made sure that the Hebrews who were following the prophecy knew he was the true Messiah who descended from King David. But yes, he was a Hebrew man. He was raised by Hebrew parents. He spoke in Hebrew synagogues and taught amongst them. He was not known as Greek or a stranger. Like I explained in part two of that series, if you understand Israel from their history and how important it was for them to separate from the other nations, we know that assimilating into Greek culture was not acceptable to those who were following and still believing in Yahuwah. As Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 2 says, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. So if you understand this culture of the Hebrews to not learn the way of the Gentiles, it should not be hard to understand that those who followed Yah were not to attach to the way of the heathens. I mean, why would Yahusha do this and attach himself to the way of the Gentiles when scripture clearly told them not to do this? As we believe in Messiah and come to Yahuwah through him, we have to make sure that we are not attaching ourselves with the false identities that have been attached to him through the many different attacks and hijackings of history that has transpired. Yahusha, the Messiah, was sent amongst the Jews. He was a Jew, descending from the 12 tribes of Israel. We cannot attach him to the Greeks, the Romans, the Arabs, the views from the Roman Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, the Church of England, none of it. He comes from the Hebrews. And if you believe in him, you cannot change his culture or his ways. It is important that you understand him from the right cultural influence because Satan is also spreading belief in his own coming Messiah. Now get this difference. Satan's religion is a world religion that you can make fit your own culture. Satan does not care how any culture just adapts his ways to their culture. He does not care, but Yah does. That is not the way Yah has deemed his way. Listen, if you do not understand the effects of Hellenization, do this. Take any historical figure and then change where he was. Would the story of Donald Trump make sense if he was Chinese? Would Putin make sense if he was made Hispanic? No, his culture matters. What he believes in matters. When you change a figure's culture to adapt to the dominant power at the time, this is a practice like Hellenization. So it is important that you understand the influence you know our Messiah through. He was a Jew, and so you must understand him through those eyes. This is why we have the Old Testament. It is also why so many Christians practice Hellenization. It's because, for the most part, Christians don't thoroughly read the Old Testament. So they don't understand the God of the Hebrews through his many interactions with the people that he chose. It's why so many people could right now go and celebrate Christmas and say there's nothing wrong with it. It's because they don't know of Yah through his interaction with his chosen people. So they make up their own rules on what is right when honoring and worshiping him and say these things can't be wrong. 
So many people today are very aggressive against the ways of the Hebrews. They say the culture, the language, and their ways don't matter because we all speak English. It's important that you understand where that doctrine stems from because it's not pure. That is doctrine of Hellenization. It's like what the Greeks did. It's part of the hijacking that was done in order to help steer the world in this coming one world religion. Let me just say, if your challenge to what I am presenting is that the culture and language does not matter, you are practicing Hellenization. And I know you would not believe that if the Chinese took over the faith and were the world leaders, and there were now Xi Jinping translation Bibles who changed Messiah's name to fit their language, I know you would not just accept that. Now, I don't want to get ahead of this teaching though, so let me backtrack. The point is, you must understand how this all came about. Yahusha was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and then as they knew him, they were able to become disciples and spread knowledge and belief of him to the world, so that the rest of the world and the nations could know him. He did not come to the Greeks or the Romans to present himself and explain the grace Yahuwah was providing. He came to Israel because only they would understand what he was doing, because only they knew Yah. Does that make sense to you? So Yahusha was in Judea and had his ministry. And this is where we come to the New Testament. And what everyone has done is remove the Hebrew culture from the Jews and replace it with Greek because it is claimed that the original manuscripts were written in Greek. That's the major claim, right? When we say his name in English, it's because the New Testament was written in Greek and then his name was just translated into Latin, then into English. This is the claim. This is why you say that we can use his name in Greek, right? It's all because it's said that the New Testament was written in Greek, though it is the Roman Catholic Church that holds this information in proof, and they're not sharing their proof. But listen, if we study this claim without them, we find that claim is altogether not truthful. Yeah, it's not truthful. Maybe the current manuscripts that they have now as proof of the New Testament are written in Greek, but the evidence does not prove that his name was given by the authors of the New Testament in Greek. So I want you to think about this. If the original Gospels were not written in Greek, but in Hebrew, that would change a great deal about this translating of his name, wouldn't it? I'm asking you, if the original Gospels were not written in Greek, would you still say that we need to change his name? Before you decide, let's review some information. There are a lot of writings from the early church leaders who came into the faith, some genuine, some not. There are many writings from the first church. You can search all these writers yourself and read what they have said on your own. I have this book, a dictionary of the early Christian beliefs that is a good reference point for all these early writings. Let's read from the writings of Irenaeus. He was a Greek bishop. In his writings, he wrote this about the book of Matthew. Matthew also issued a written gospel among the Hebrews in their own dialect, while Peter and Paul were preaching at Rome. Okay, wait, did you catch it? He said Matthew wrote a gospel to the Hebrews in their own dialect. Well, let's read another. The writings of Origen, another Gentile, who is known as the father of Christian theology, he wrote, we will begin with Matthew, who was reported by tradition to have published his gospel before the others. He wrote it to the Hebrews, namely those of the circumcision who believed. Okay, so this notion that the text of the New Testament was written in Greek is already shown inherently false. 
these early Gentile church leaders have written that Matthew was the first gospel written, which is why it is the first book in the New Testament. And this book was written in the Hebrew language made directly for the Hebrews. So the first writings we have of the gospel was not written in Greek, but in Hebrew. But is that it? No, it's not. Let's look at the book of Mark. Who was Mark? Irenaeus writes, Mark, the interpreter and follower of Peter, begins his gospel narrative in this narrative. Clement of Alexandria, another Gentile of the early church. He was a teacher of origin who I referenced earlier. He writes this about Mark. Mark was the follower of Peter. Peter publicly preached the gospel at Rome before some of Caesar's equestrian knights and adduced many testimonies to Messiah in order that thereby they might be able to commit to memory what was spoken by Peter. Mark wrote entirely what is called the gospel according to Mark. Okay, so now we know the gospel according to Mark was written by a follower and interpreter of Peter. By scripture, we know this to be correct when we go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12 verse 25 says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of Elohim in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Acts 13, verses 4 and 5. So make sure you're understanding what you're hearing. Mark was the follower and interpreter of Peter. Peter, Cephas, who was an actual disciple of Yahusha, who walked with him directly, the man who walked on water with Messiah. When he was preaching to Rome, he did not speak in Greek. If he did, he wouldn't need an interpreter. He had Mark with him who interpreted Peter's words to the Romans. And Mark later wrote out the testimonies that Peter had shared with him. So listen, from this we know that how he received the gospel was not in Greek because Peter did not speak Greek. This is why he had an interpreter. He heard of Messiah in the Hebrew tongue. In reference to Luke, Luke was the only Gentile writers of the four gospels. He was an educated physician, as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Again, from the writings of the Clement of Alexandria, in reference to Luke, he wrote, By the style of writing, Luke may be recognized both to have composed the Acts of the Apostles and to have translated Paul's epistle to the Hebrews. Oh yeah, Paul wrote a letter to the Hebrews. And in this writing, it said that Luke translated Paul's epistle to the Hebrews. But we are to believe that he wrote a letter to the Hebrews in Greek because the Roman Catholic Church told us so? No, they wouldn't lie to us, right? Listen, I'm getting ahead of myself. I just want you to understand certain things that's being said. I will get to Paul, but right now we're talking about Luke. From here, we see where the debate about the Greek language could start coming in because Luke was not Hebrew, but he was educated and was a companion of Paul and was also amongst the other Hebrew disciples. He might have translated the word into Greek and there's nothing wrong with translating the word into another language. This is how we know the Bible today. What's wrong is changing his name. So what matters is how he received the gospel. Like people today, they give the gospel and speak to people about the name of Jesus. 
when people leave and go to other countries and heard the gospel, they still say Jesus because this is how it was given to them. So how Luke received it matters. More on that soon when we get to Paul though. Let's cover the gospel of John. Now, we don't need to dive deep into this because John was an original disciple. He was an actual Hebrew man and actually sat with and followed Yahusha directly. He was a Hebrew. He spoke Hebrew. He knew Messiah in the Hebrew tongue. He was not Hellenized. If he was, he would not have been seen as a true disciple. And we know that's not true. So lastly, let's cover Paul because he is the main scapegoat for this Hellenization excuse. He wrote many different epistles to many different churches that he has spread around Rome and Asia Minor. He was a citizen of Rome, but he was also a Jew, a Hebrew. It's not as if he only spoke Greek, he spoke Hebrew too. If you remember, before his ministry, he was a Pharisee persecuting the church. If you remember, as soon as he received understanding of Yahusha and received his sight back, he went directly to the Jews in their synagogues and preached Messiah. Immediately he preached the Messiah in the synagogues, that he is the son of Elohim. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Yahusha is the Messiah. That's Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. He was speaking to the Jews in their synagogues, not the Greeks. So is it more likely that he was speaking in Hebrew or Greek? But maybe that doesn't convince you. Let's look at more. Paul was also against the Hellenists. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Adun on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Yahusha. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Adun Yahusha, and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. That's Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 30. If you ever need evidence that Paul was not with Hellenization, it's right there. The King James Version says the Grecians. New King James shows Hellenists. Remember, I showed you this is the same thing. He was disputing against the Grecians who were all about their culture. So tying Paul to Hellenism is just false teaching. Apply the Bible in totality. But here's some more for you. Let's not forget that Paul did interact with Messiah in the Hebrew tongue. When Yahusha presented himself to Paul, he did not present himself to him in the Greek tongue. Paul tells it very directly. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the golds. So I said, who are you, Adon? And he said, I am Yahusha, whom you are persecuting. That's Acts chapter 26, verses 12 through 15. So now please ask yourself this. Use common sense here, people. 
if Saul said Yahusha spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue? Why did the translators in the King James Bible give us a Greek translation of that name when they wrote how Saul received it? Do you really think this man who was against Hellenism communicated this life-changing event from the influence of Hellenism? Please make it make sense. If you're going to challenge what I'm communicating to you in this video, I need you to challenge these actual points. But okay, listen, that was a lot of evidence and instances that I just gave you. But this is all direct history that cannot and should not be ignored. People desire to speak only of the fact that it is said that the claim is that the New Testament was written in Greek. But all of this history is here for us, and with it, it can provide a great deal of understanding. In four out of these five instances, do you know what we find? We find a bunch of Hebrews speaking about the Messiah sent to the Hebrews. Matthew, a Hebrew man, wrote a gospel preaching directly to the Hebrews in his Hebrew tongue. He would not use a Greek name speaking to Hebrews against Hellenization. He went through the whole genealogy of Yahusha to make sure the Jews knew he was the Messiah. But what, we expect that he used a Greek name, which is now English? No. Or Mark, who was an interpreter for Peter. He was an interpreter, so he heard the gospel from Peter in Peter's Hebrew tongue. Peter himself went out preaching about Messiah in his native Hebrew tongue and had Mark there to help interpret for him to the Romans. Peter was not changing the name of the Messiah that he walked with, that he followed, that he denied three times, that he saw crucified and resurrected. He did not change his name into Greek when he spoke Hebrew. John, also like Peter, was a Hebrew. He actually refers to himself as the one that Yahusha loved. He spoke Hebrew. He knew Messiah as a Hebrew man son of the God of the Hebrews. He did not take Yah out of the son's name. Maybe you want to say, well, Luke was a Gentile and he was educated, but okay. But he was also very close to Paul. And Paul himself said that the Messiah spoke to him and referred to himself in the Hebrew tongue. Are we really saying that the Messiah spoke to Paul in the Hebrew tongue, but gave a Greek name? He was not Greek. He was not English. Okay, so I know now I might have pushed a few buttons, but there's much more to show you on this topic. But this is probably my longest video, so I had to break it up in two parts. If you still would like to hear what I have to say, please go to part two. The link is right here at the top left-hand corner, this video right here. Otherwise, if you believe that I am against Messiah and you're offended, you should unsubscribe and not follow this channel any longer. I am not here to play games in these last days and tickle people's ears. But if you want to hear the rest, and I do have more to show you, please click this link and let's go to part two. I love you all.